Production support comes from Smithville Communications, serving southern Indiana with fiber gigabit internet and digital IPTV. More information at smithville.net. And from School of Public Health Bloomington, Public Health Reimagined, addressing 21st century health challenges with a multidisciplinary approach to disease prevention, health promotion, and enhancing quality of life. publichealth.indiana.edu. Welcome to Noon Edition. I'm Bob Zaltzberg from the Herald Times. And today we're going to talk about craft beer, which is growing rapidly in popularity. In Bloomington alone, three new breweries have opened in the past two years. The boom leads some to be concerned that the craft brewery market in Indiana is becoming oversaturated. Uh, Some don't think that's even possible, and I think I'd be one of those. Uh, We'll talk about that and more with our three guests today. Uh, all our guests are in the studio. Doug Dayhoff is here. He is the president of the Upland Brewing Company. Abel Garcia from Quaffon Bloomington. And Tristan Schmidt is the communications director of the Brewers of Indiana Guild. If you have questions or comments, you can give us a call, 855-0811 or 1-877-285-9348. You can also join the live chat at wfiu.org slash noon edition. And you can follow us on Twitter at Noon Edition. So, hey, great topic today, guys. Definitely. Yeah. Thanks for being here. It's, we're leading into a weekend, and uh, although I guess some Bloomington weekends start earlier than Friday, but <laughs> for uh, you know the, the traditional weekend is starting today. So I want to just sort of ask all of you to open up uh, this discussion. I'm going to start with Doug because, you know, Upland um, has been here for now how many years? Uh, 16 years. 16 years. I mean, Upland is uh, well-established in Bloomington, and, and you can talk, I think, very uh, clearly about the, the growth of the craft beer industry because you've been in it for a long time. Right. Well, I, I can remember when I first got involved, which was seven and a half, eight years ago, um, going out in the market and talking to other bars and restaurants and asking them to pour, try, try to pour one of our beers from their draft system. And it was just a... a the, the level of skepticism was amazing, and uh, you know, you come eight years later, and now the the uh, the number of new taps that are in the market, the degree to which taps have shifted over from the the big domestic breweries to the craft beers, and and it used to be that if you wanted a craft beer, maybe it was in a bottle in the in the uh, you know down in the region, and uh, now the craft beer will be on the draft, and if you want to a uh, domestic light beer, maybe they've got those in the region. So that's that's been fascinating. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm not, so how many how many different places are your beers available now? Like on draft, how many restaurants are you in? Oh gosh, I, mean, I don't just know. General, in general, hundreds, hundreds, in, hundreds in Indiana. Mm-hmm. Um, we've been distributing into Louisville, Kentucky, Cincinnati area. Mm-hmm. Uh, started Chicago last year and Southern Wisconsin. So. Um, and statewide in Indiana, so um, you know it's been um, it's been a not an easy slog. I mean, there's it's definitely been a bit of a tailwind lately. But as you point out at the beginning of the show, there are also a lot of new breweries coming to market, mm-hmm. and I think that's also that's helped to catalyze the growth of the market, um, which has been fun. Mm-hmm. And Abel Garcia is from Quaffon Bloomington. So talk a little bit about Quaffon. You're a lot newer on the Bloomington scene. Oh yeah, well we're just. A very nice brewery, <laughs> just to say it out there, you know. We definitely have our flagships are everywhere you can find them in Indiana, some parts of western Ohio, uh, northern Kentucky as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, we started in Nashville, Indiana, and that was in 2009. Mm-hmm. And then we expanded over to Quaffon, was now the distributing company there in Nashville, and that started in 2012. Mm-hmm. So ever since then, we just decided to do another franchise here in Bloomington as a tap room. Uh, we don't brew there on site quite yet. But we do plan on doing that in the future. Do you brew in Brown County? Is that right? Uh, yeah, we brew there. We have a, like the single side facility, which is a four barrel system, and uh-huh. then we just actually upgraded to a thirty barrel uh, as a fermenter in Nashville, Indiana. So we're hoping to really expand even further. Mm-hmm. All right. So what's the reception been like in Bloomington? Oh, amazing! The whole yeah. craft brew scene here is awesome. You know, you can't go anywhere without having someone asking you, you know, what's great on tap. Uh, what do you think? You know, when it mm-hmm. comes to my palate, there. I have so many customers that come in and are always asking me, like, what do you think about this? Uh, like, oh, you know, what do you, the function just opened. What do you think about that? Uh-huh. You know, I have my own opinions. Uh, the, t- the new tap room that just opened for the tap. Uh-huh. You know, just have my own opinions about that. And everyone, I love it that people can come over and, and trust us 
and give them some good knowledge about beer, whether it be a local competitor, which, you know, honestly, I don't think they're competitors. I, I feel the, the biggest competitor we have is, you know, InBev, as far as like Budweiser products, Miller Lite, because they hold so much of the market share. And, you know, we're all, you know, helping each other out. If there's a hop shortage, I'm sure we can call Upland BBC and they can help out if they can. So mm-hmm. it's a really great community that we're all just, you know, chasing the same buck, but we're all holding hands doing it. So it's nice. <laughs> That's a, a nice image. All right. So Tristan Schmidt is the communications director of the Brewers of Indiana Guild. So, Tristan, what is that guild? Well, the Brewers of Indiana Guild is a nonprofit trade association. We basically represent all of nearly 100 craft breweries in the state of Indiana. Uh, We look out for their interests uh, legislatively, so we help promote laws that basically help the industry. Uh, For example, craft beer sales on Sunday. You can now go into your local brewery, get a growler of uh, your favorite beer from them, and it's completely legal on Sunday. Uh, we also help them uh, basically maintain quality. Uh, we help with educational opportunities to make sure that everyone kind of, kind of like what Abel was saying, everyone helps everyone else out and they know that we're all in this together. Uh, right now, the market share of craft beer in Indiana is very, very small. So it's only about 5 or 6%, uh, which uh, to answer your question, basically, there's a lot of room for growth in the yeah. industry. And we're basically uh, a small nonprofit that is here to help these guys out. Mm-hmm. How's Indiana compare as a craft beer state compared to other states? That's a good question. We are uh, we're growing really quickly. So right now, as of uh, 2012, according to the uh, National uh, Brewers Association, the craft beer impact on the economy in Indiana was about 600, a little bit over 600 million dollars. Obviously, that's gone up since then. Uh, it's 2014, so it's going to be significantly more this year, especially considering the fact that we've almost doubled in the number of breweries in the state of Indiana since uh, 2012. So mm-hmm. there's a lot of room for growth. Uh, again, as uh, Abel mentioned earlier, InBev, Miller Coors, those guys are really uh, they, they're really holding it down in terms of the, the percentage of, of beer consumed and purchased in, in the country. In the state of Indiana, there's a lot more room for growth in terms of craft beer. Mm-hmm. All right. If you uh, have a question or a comment, you want to just call in and just have a chat about beer. We're going to be here for another 45 minutes or so. So 855-0811 in Bloomington or 1-877-285-9348. Outside of the Bloomington area, you can also join a live chat at WFIU.org slash Noon Edition. And you can follow us on Twitter at Noon Edition. Well, you know, a lot of people, of course, like to go in and, and you know, just basically – um, get the fruits of all of your labor. You know, they like the, the end product, the beer, but there's so much more to running, you know, a business because, uh, you know, the craft, craft beer industry is an industry. You're running a business. There's distribution. There's, you know, there's sales. Or you were mentioning hop shortage. You know, if you don't have enough hops, you got to do that. So I, I wanted uh, Doug to start talking about that, you know, in your eight, eight you said eight years, eight, mm-hmm. seven and a half years of right. Being involved, I mean, you know, what, what were some of the surprises you learned when you first got involved? Yeah, I've I've seen everything you have said, and probably twenty other things too, Bob. But you know, we've we've um, I think th- there as you try to grow a, a brewery, you deal with a couple fundamental issues, um, and and I, I guess I'm now speaking as um, like transitioning from a brew pub model, which is largely retail based to a, a wholesale distributing packaging brewery. Um, it becomes very capital intensive. Um, your margins as your, uh, you know, we have great partnerships with our distributors across the state. Um, but but the reality is, is that on that wholesale business, you have to make room for the distributor to make some money and of course the ultimate retailer too. So the, the, the process of making beer in small scale um, and distributing it on the wholesale is not highly profitable. And um, so as, as a business, what you're trying to do is, is sort of slide your way up the capital scale while you slide your sales up and um, try to make that work. And that's, that's um, easier said than done, I can tell you, um, having been fighting that dragon for eight years. But, um, but, but, but the point, at some point, you reach a point as a brewery where it starts to get a little bit easier. You're you have a nice sales team in the market. Um, you have those strong distribution relationships, um, and you're able to grow the the back end of your process, your brewing process. So a couple of years ago, we built a new production brewery on the west side of town, 
um, which a lot of people have come visited. And it's just at a completely different scale than, than what our original brew pub site was. And that helps us. It's a lot of money to get there, um, but that helps uh, improve the margin in what we're doing. And that allows us to invest more in the sales team. So, um, you know, maybe the best the best little fact that I share with people that that uh, kind of gets their eyebrows up when 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 you go to add another point of wholesale distribution um, as a brewery, you basically have to buy five kegs in order to support support that tap line. So there'll be the one one beer that's on tap, the beer that's in the retailer's cooler waiting for that one to empty, uh, a keg of your beer sitting in the warehouse, the wholesaler's warehouse, uh, and one sitting in our warehouse, and probably one floating in the the logistics chain somewhere along the line. And that's a really, you know, every keg costs us as a brewery $130, $140 to buy. So, So in order to grow our point of distribution by one, we have to spend eight, nine hundred dollars in just the physical containers to support all that. So, so when we run into um, you know great retailers here for a long time in Bloomington, you've got Nick's and Yogi's. Um, Kilroy's has supported the the local beer movement for a long time, and then you have new upstarts, the Tap, Atlas guys, Stephen at the Bishop. These are all people who've supported craft beer for a long time. I mean this. It's, it's what we need are those retailers that are standing behind the suppliers in order to make that all work financially, because otherwise you're really upside down. Uh, from a business standpoint, you're really upside down when you start that process. Mm-hmm. Uh, so do you, you have, do you have guest beers at, your, uh, at, at the Upland locally? We don't, we don't typically have mm-hmm. guest beers um, at Upland. We do them in, um, we'll do collaborations with other breweries, and frequently when we do a collaboration, we uh, bring in guest beers. Um, we occasionally do bets uh, with uh, Jeff and Mark and the guys over at, at Bloomington Brewing Company who are deep friends. And occasionally we lose those bets uh, and or those kickball contests and that sort of thing. And therefore, we, we occasionally have a Bloomington Brewing Company t- guest tap, which was... Uh, uh, you know, one fairly or unfairly, we can all debate that. But, uh-huh. but, but, oh, I see. Yes, exactly. <laughs> but but uh, but for the most part, what we what we provides an upland experience. Yeah. Okay, uh, we have a, a question on our live chat line, and it is: What legislative obstacles are Indiana breweries currently trying to overcome? So, Tristan, I think that might go to you. Uh, that's a good question. Um, we every year we work with our legislators to get some uh, good laws passed that, that benefit all the breweries in the state, and we're working on some for this upcoming session. Uh, without giving too much away, um, we are, are looking at the same thing that we were looking at last year, which is allowing farmers markets to uh, basically sell beer, or, or actually to allow small breweries to sell their beer at farmers markets and growlers. Uh, that's just something that kind of goes along with the whole local scene in terms of, of food and beverage, and we think it, it just makes sense to have that as an opportunity for, for small breweries in Indiana. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing that we, we had a lot of success with actually this year was uh, getting beer and, and wine to uh, be legally consumed at the Indiana State Fair. So uh, we're, we're really pleased with the turnout for that and, and our partnership with the fair on that. We had about 50,000 people come through the uh, beer and wine exhibition at the Indiana State Fair in August. And so that just shows that there are about 50,000 people who may or may not have even known about craft beer until this year. So that was a major hurdle for us, and it went pretty smoothly. So we're looking forward to working with the fair on growing that again uh, this coming year. Mm-hmm. Um, beyond that, like I said, I don't want to give too much away, but we're, we're always working very, very closely with our legislators. And the, the thing about craft beer and the guys that we're talking to and the nearly 100 other breweries in the state is that the vast, vast, vast majority of these 100 breweries are uh, basically mom-and-pop businesses. These, these are not guys who uh, are, are self-funded for the most part. If they are self-funded, they are uh, making every penny that they own uh, count in their investment in their brewery. So uh, th- these are by no means the, the big boys, uh, the, the Budweiser's and PBR's uh, of the beer world. And so we are really out there trying to help uh, all these small small businesses basically grow. They really are a, a sort of a definition of local business. Right? Definitely, uh-huh. for sure. Mm-hmm. So, um, Abel and Doug, were either of you at the State Fair? 
Uh, no, no, not this no, year. We not weren't. This year. I was uh, definitely Upland was Upland beers were there for sure. Um, we, um, I personally was on a long bike ride at about that time, so I, <laughs> I was not yeah, myself right. there. But, yeah, yeah, yeah. Doug uh, rode his bike from Key West back to Bloomington, right? So yeah, it was it was a good ride <laughs> with, with my sons. That made right. that made it uh, awesome. Right. Okay. So uh, you know, this we started out the show with this notion that. You know, is it too much of a good thing? Is there becoming an oversaturation in the craft beer industry? Do any of you believe that's true? No. 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 Absolutely not. There can never be enough beer, honestly. Uh-huh. Anywhere you go, it's just always nice to to have enough beer around. Mm-hmm. I think that the product just stands for itself. I mean, anywhere you go, I mean, it's. I really like to see a ratio of how much, like, we don't advertise anything. It's always word of mouth. Uh, Upland, you know, we give away T-shirts, whatever, but... All of it's word of mouth compared to having, you know, TV commercials or radio commercials or anything like that. That it really just it really helps us grow as a business that way. It's more just you're trusting your friend to tell you that this is a good product for you to try, mm-hmm. and that's the way we like to see it grow. Right, Doug, do you agree? Yeah, I mean, I I think I think there's a lot of room for um, more brew pubs, and I really do think that the what I what we've seen happen. You know, I've I've been in the business. As I said, about eight years, and there's probably been 40 or 50 breweries go out of business, and at the same time, there have been 70 or 80 start business. So I, I will say it's it's a it's um, it's a business where it's kind of easy to get into, um, and, and it takes staying power um, to make a go of it. And I think that uh, breweries that I, I think at the end of the day, there's still a limited number of draft lines in the marketplace, and there's an, a limited amount of shelf space. Um, at liquor stores and grocery stores, and that that's going to keep it from growing infinitely. At some point, there are more beers offered than there is space to retail them, and that that'll be the the kind of the asymptote that that we bump up against. Mm-hmm. I don't think we're there yet. And right. and to your point, uh, or Tristan's point before, you know, for five or six percent of market share right now, um, you obviously have places like Pacific Northwest that are pushing mid twenties. Uh, mid twenty percent market share. I, I, you know, whether Indiana ever gets to mid twenties, I don't know. But there's certainly room for the for uh, the industry to grow. Mm-hmm. I pulled a definition from the uh, Brewers Association website of craft craft brewer defined. But I want to. I, I didn't want to read it. I just want to give you guys the opportunity <laughs> to talk about it. So, and we we actually have a another uh, question from our live chat. So, what does craft beer? Where's that come from? The name craft beer, and how would you define a craft brewery. Hmm. Abel? See, I would have to say that a craft brewery, just in my own opinion, mm-hmm. would just have to be anything that has more malt than your regular Budweiser, Bud Light. I, you know, it's honestly, I feel like, I mean, I don't want to say anything bad about that company because they make one of the best pilsners in the world. Mm-hmm. You know, when you go to, I've been to the production facility there in St. Louis and, you know, you really get wowed by what they do there. But in my opinion, I, I don't understand how they can just keep making a beer like that when they have the means to make some really good beers. Mm-hmm. I mean, they do buy out so, small companies like Goose Island, mm-hmm. things like that, that are you know, doing something really nice and specific. But it, I just wish they would do something better. But for me, craft beer is just something that has just a bit more malt, more heart to it. It's uh, obviously the local movement of it is awesome. Mm-hmm. Just having something where you can actually meet the person that does it, you can really see the passion that they have in it. I feel like that it's really craft beer is not just a definition, it's an experience that you can go anywhere and really enjoy. Mm-hmm. Okay. Tristan? Well, um, to give you, I guess, the Brewers of Indiana Guild's take on it, we represent, right now it's 94 breweries, and all of those 94 breweries, uh, they own small brewers' permits that are given out by the state of Indiana, and they brew 30,000 barrels or less uh, of their own beer and sell that within the state of Indiana. So that's kind of craft from, from our take. Uh, but basically what Abel said, I mean, for, for the most part, these guys are artisans. They're the people in your community. Uh, Doug was talking earlier about brew pubs. Uh, the first uh, still operating brewery in the state was uh, Broad Ripple Brew Pub. They started almost 25 years ago in Broad Ripple on, on the north side of Indy. And John Hill, uh, he was kind of the, the forefather of a lot of what we're talking about today. He, he was the founder of uh, the Brewers of Indiana Guild. And he's, he's an anchor in his community. He, he uh, has a lot of charity uh, fundraising events. And 
uh, he, he kind of led the way for a lot of the other breweries. Uh, I mean, Upland all, all the time is having events that benefit the community. Uh, Bloomington Brewing Company, Doug mentioned earlier, they're, they're doing things all the time for uh, the Bloomington community. Mm-hmm. So craft uh, and my take, uh, sure, bigger brands like Sierra Nevada, New Belgium, those are craft by the Brewers Association standards, and they do a lot of fundraising too. But they're, they've grown wildly beyond their immediate community, and so that's one reason why we're really, we're really proud to represent uh, companies like Quaffon and Upland. Did you say uh, in Indiana the companies that you represent make about 30,000 barrels or less? So, so that's the limit. You, yeah. you can brew okay. 30,000 barrels a year and sell that within the state of Indiana. Anything further than that, you basically have to go beyond the state of Indiana. And that's one thing that we're looking at is possibly increasing those numbers, uh-huh. uh, working with the state legislature to make it legal for a company like Sun King or Upland or Three Floyds and Munster mm-hmm. to basically sell more of their own beer in Indiana. Because really, if you talk about the local aspect, I mean, there are many... Uh, financial benefits to the community about selling your beer locally. But then there are things, uh, I know especially in Bloomington, uh, environmental impact is really huge, and that's really important. So it, it's kind of absurd to, to legally be charged by law to have to ship your beer out of state and sell that when you could be selling it here when there is mm-hmm. that demand locally. Mm-hmm. Well, I just wanted, I, I wanted to ask you that follow-up question because the I think the craft, the American, uh, the Brewers Association actually goes so much larger than that. That's why uh, companies, you know, like like you mentioned, can be called a craft beer. Uh, six million barrels of beer or less is what they talk about, and that's that's a total. That's I mean, there there are more flights to this, I guess. Than, <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. So you talk about room for growth. Um, in Indiana, you can sell thirty thousand barrels of your own beer, mm-hmm. and f- uh, nationally, you're talking in the millions of barrels. That's a huge. Just that number alone shows that there's room for growth in the state. Right. And, and and to be clear, I mean, you could be bigger than thirty thousand barrels. Um, there are just certain legislative privileges mm-hmm. that you lose above that level. Mm-hmm. Um, regulatory privileges. How, um, how much do you brew? This year we'll do somewhere between fifteen and sixteen thousand barrels. I think. Mm-hmm. How about Quafon? Quaffon, we just updated to a 30-barrel fermenter in Nashville. So, uh-huh. we're, I mean, as far as the actual barrel sales, I'm not part of that, but I can definitely yeah. tell you that we are definitely expanding and uh-huh. in the right direction, yeah. for sure. Good. Okay, well, we have one more question from live chat before I'm going to take a short break, and it says, do you think uh, Indiana hops farms could ever fully support local breweries so they don't have to depend on the West Coast hops farms? Yeah, so I was um, um I was up at Purdue a couple of weeks ago for a symposium on um, growing hops <laughs> here locally. Well, they've got a, a great agronomy school <laughs> right. up there, right? So, uh, you know, I think the challenge with with hops um, and Indiana is climate more than anything else. We're a very humid climate. Um, the enemy of quality hops are molds and mildews, which um, you know love a humid. Uh, environment and most of our hops come from Pacific Northwest uh, because uh, you're talking about a, a high plateau where they're grown, so the air is arid. Um, but hops love uh, water to grow. So, in fact, I, the factoid from that I picked up a couple weeks ago is 16 gallons a day is wow. their water draw um, at peak growing season. And if anybody comes and watches the hops early in the spring uh, that grew up the front of, of our brew pub on 11th Street, you can almost physically, they grow so fast, you can almost physically see them inch their way up the building. Um, well, in that uh, Yakima Valley of, of uh, Washington is where there is uh, plenty of water to irrigate at the roots, but you're talking an arid climate. And um, so you have to be careful. I mean, you can grow hops around here. You have to put a lot of mildew fungicides and, and mildew sides on it. Um, so that your um, the the flour, which is what we use in the brewing process, um, isn't uh, infected with those things. Mm-hmm. All right, we're talking about uh, craft beer today on Noon Edition, and I have uh, three guests in the studio: Doug Dayhoff, the president of Upland Brewing, Abel Garcia from Quaffon Bloomington, and Tristan Schmidt, the communications director of the Brewers of Indiana Guild. Hope you'll give us a call after the break, uh, 855-0811 or 1-877-285-9348. You can also join a live chat at WFIU.org slash Noon Edition. We'll be right back. This is Noon Edition on WFIU. 
production support comes from Smithville Communications. More information at smithville.net and IU School of Public Health Bloomington, online at publichealth.indiana.edu. WFIU News covers South Central Indiana and the state each day. You can read news throughout the day as it's posted on our website at wfiunews.org. And you can pick up a digest of all the top stories. It's like a newspaper delivered to your inbox each afternoon. It's a free and easy way to stay on top of not only the headlines, but also the in-depth audio, video, and print news stories you can't get anywhere else. Subscribe right now at WFIUNews.org. We are back on the air. I'm Bob Zaltzberg, and you're listening to Noon Edition. We're talking about craft beers today uh, with Doug Dayhoff, the president of Upland Brewing, Abel Garcia from Quaffon Bloomington, and Tristan Schmidt from the Brewers of Indiana Guild. If you have questions or comments, 855-0811 or 1-877-285-9348. And you can also join the live chat at wfiu.org slash noon edition. We hope you'll give us a call and tell us what you like in beer. Uh, if you have any you know, serious questions or you can just weigh in with your opinion on what makes craft beers uh, your favorite, the favorite part of your weekend or, or whatever. So, yeah, we were uh, – so – you know, I was, I was telling a story because, you know, we always like to tell stories about, um, you know, when, when we're drinking beer, which we're not, by the sure. way. We don't have any in here today. But I, I had a friend who's very involved with uh, the craft bearing, beer industry. His, um, his daughter actually is really involved in Florida. And so he came to Bloomington over – over uh, it was during the baseball tournament, and he's a big Upland fan. Great, and he, he so you know he he didn't want to go to Upland this time. He went to Quaffon and he went to Function, and mm-hmm. he had a you know a, a sampler at each place, and he was just I mean he was ecstatic about the fact that there's there are all these options in Bloomington. I mean he's a huge fan. I mean do you think this is uh, in a way a um, you know a, a, a and Tourism advantage. I mean, it's part of the the cultural part, uh, the cultural aspect of Bloomington that it's it's becoming a craft beer center in some ways. How would Tristan? What would you say about that? Yeah, for sure. Uh, I mean, obviously, Bloomington has several great breweries now uh, that kind of run the gamut in terms of size and, and offerings. Um, and statewide, definitely, we're working with the uh, Indiana Tourism Bureau to actually get more people from not only the surrounding states, but uh, other parts of the country and hopefully from across the world to visit Indiana because there's such a, a wide range of beer that our brewers are producing. So uh, a couple years ago and still today, IPAs are super, super popular. Uh, session IPAs, which are basically hoppy beers that are lower in alcohol content, those have been kind of a trend. And now a lot of breweries are looking at sour beers. So 18th Street Brewing up in Gary just announced a sour program. They're looking at uh, producing more sour beers. Uh, Taxman Brewing is opening up here pretty soon in Bargersville, just north of here. And then obviously Upland's sour beer program has been amazingly popular. So in terms of the the growth of the industry, there's also growth in the variety of beer that you can produce. Mm-hmm. What is a sour beer? Yeah, so um, it's it's one of two things. Um, it's either intentional, um, and it's, uh, or I should start with maybe the unintentional one. It's it's one where um, you're using traditional um, brewer's yeast to uh, make ales and lagers, and something goes wrong, and uh, a microorganism gets in there, a wild yeast or a bacteria that sours the beer. Um, and so that's that's one one side of it. It's a mistake. But what 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 we're talking about here are the ones that are intentionally soured, which um, utilize these microorganisms, um, different bacteria and different strains of yeast to create a tart. Um, what, what was really the original before beer was even understood? It was the original uh, mixing of water and cereal grains and. Uh, Producing something safe to drink, and and those sour beers that that started brewing thousands thousands of years ago, um, most recently mostly uh, perpetuated by a small group of breweries in Belgium, um, and then lately sort of a renaissance in sour brewing um, from around the country. So for us, uh, the production process is totally different. Um, we built the two breweries because of the cross-contamination issue. We wanted to split up 
uh, our fermentation programs and our and our microbiology programs, basically. Um, so at 11th Street, we continue. We're, that's that's the core of our sour beer project right now, um, out on Profile Parkway. The production brewery is there are no sour beers brewed there at all. Okay. Um, but but uh, at any rate, it, it's a it's a very different flavor profile, uh, low pH, acidic, uh, some f- uh, nice cheesy flavors. It's 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 a um, it's something very different than the the beers that that most of us are uh, accustomed to. There's science and chemistry and all that stuff involved with this. Yeah, there's a lot of there's there's a lot it's of very, it. It's, it's a serious business. Oh yeah, beer is all about the little things. Absolutely, yeah, right. That's how you make a great beer. Just worry about the little things, water composition, you know, things like that. That's what really makes a nice great beer. Mm-hmm. All right, we have another question um, from. The, the online chat, what separates Bloomington from Asheville, North Carolina, or Bend, Oregon? They are similar in size, but have more breweries. Hmm. Yeah. I've never visited Asheville. I know Sierra Nevada just started a new production facility out there. Yeah. But knowing something like that, I mean, when it comes to something like I always think water is the biggest draw for a brewery. I mean, you have, if, if I feel like if you can easily manipulate the water to your standards to have, because what most people don't understand is that certain water types, adding magnesium, chloride, will really can st- make a stout better, an IPA better. It's just having that type of water can really make a style stand out. So I feel like if you have like a blank canvas uh, that is water and you can add your own things to it and easily just, you know, without doing like a reverse osmosis, I think for your water, I feel like that would be a, a more of a draw for someone to come in and, and easily just you know start doing some great beer. Yeah, yeah I mean Asheville. I rode rode my bike through Asheville oh, nice. a month ago. Um, yeah, Asheville is a bigger town. Um, it has a stronger tourism program, I think, than we have yet developed here. Um, but there, uh, but I think we're tracking in that direction. I mean, I think I I, I think when I see. When I'm in Asheville, I feel like a uh, I'm in Bloomington. It's just a little bit bit of a bigger community. And, and if you looked at population, and, and I'm talking about pulled the university out of out of Bloomington, um, and and then as it relates to Bend, you know, Bend's Bend. Uh, I've also been there. Beautiful town, uh, smaller than Bloomington, and you have uh, one Deschutes uh, is is the primary uh, large brewer in town that exports. Uh, throughout the United States, basically, they've become a national brand. So, um, I, I, I think part of it's giving, giving it time. You know, Pacific Northwest and Oregon, they they really embraced culturally embraced the craft beer movement maybe ten years before it's happening here in Indiana. So part of it's just a little bit of patience, um, but population doesn't hurt either. Mm-hmm. Well, we're here getting a lot of questions. We've had a lot of questions online, but if you want to give us a call and. Come get on the air with us. That would be great too. Eight five five zero eight one one in Bloomington, or one eight seven seven two eight five nine three four eight outside of the Bloomington area. You can also join the live chat at wfiu.org/noonedition, and you can follow us on Twitter at noonedition. So I'm going to get real simple now because, you know, I'm I'm of an age that when I grew up and even went to college, you know, we drank things that were from big, you know, there weren't craft beers around. So you know, Budweiser, Miller. Pabst, whatever there was out there, uh, and it all tasted pretty much the same. Really, we might say we had a favorite beer, but it pretty much tasted the same. But you know, if you go into any of your places or any craft brewery, uh, you know, you can get you can get a sampler there, and from one end of that sampler to the other, the tastes are very much different. So, can you sort of educate me about how those different tastes come about in the pro- product that's called beer? Mostly malts, absolutely. Well, first of all, free beer is the best beer. <laughs> so, uh, you know, if you're dealing with Pabst, Miller, you know, trust me, I, I love craft beer, but, you know, if I put them at the 500, I'm still slamming some Budweiser because, you know, probably free. So, <laughs> right, but, when go. it comes to, like, different tastes in your beers, always different types of malts can produce chocolate notes, coffee notes, uh, some Vienna malts to give you a little bit drier biscuity taste. Uh, then you move into, you know, adding, like, dextrose sugar that can kind of make it a little bit milky. Um, changing just gases in your beer can change uh, the profile from going to hand pulls to CO2 to nitrogen. Uh, Explain that a little bit more for me. When uh, when brewers uh, keg a beer, they, uh, the natural carbonation could lead into a hand pull. Mm-hmm. Uh, using CO2 is what you normally see on draft lines everywhere. And a nitrogen, they just use a nitrogen CO2 blend. Okay, that gives it a real silk, uh, almost like a kind of have the Guinness mouthfeel to it. That'll give it a nice creamier taste. 
Uh, BBC is a nice example that they have a lot of their beers that normally are on draft and will also switch it to a hand pull to nitrogen just so you can really see the difference. And uh, honestly, if you put it the same beer under the same circumstances, a hand pull nitro and also the CO2, you can almost swear they're completely different beers if you didn't know mm-hmm. what we were dealing with. Okay. But then, you know, leading into yeast, like Belgian yeast will get you some clove, banana taste, things like that. I mean, most IPAs will use a clean yeast to allow the hops to really come forward. Mm-hmm. Let, like, any alcohol notes come in that'll be, like, warmth on your tongue. So, you know, mm-hmm. little, just little subtle differences between beers. Like, when you get to, like, the real malts that they use, they're very similar, but every brewer just has their own way of doing it. Okay. Doug? Well, the, yeah, I mean, you have three basic ingredients, um, the malt. Uh, the hops and the water, and then the yeast uh, interacts with the malt uh, and the water, uh, basically the water. So, you know, the recipe, the ingredients, but there's a process side of it too. And I think as we've continued, what's what we've changed and, and try to get better at um, is, is being better at the process side year after year. Different techniques for um, maximizing flavor or accentuating certain flavors as a result of how you handle that beer through the fermentation process. So, um, you know, we could probably spend five hours oh, yeah. on, on <laughs> one of those individuals, uh, but uh, it's it's a, you know, the, you asked earlier, what makes a craft brewer? Well, there are these very subtle differences in technique that you can use um, and that you embrace using. You're not trying to make just a single um, a single beer, as you said, you can walk into any of our uh, pubs and facilities and get probably 10 or 15 different flavors put in front of you. Um, and that's part of the artisanship. And that's that's really what, um, you know, for me, the fun of it's working with a team of people that really uh, gets excited about that. It excites me, has always excited me as a consumer, a drinker of craft beer. Um, but that's, that's you know, behind the door and what's going on the other side of the curtain are, are guys that are um, really amped up about what if we just change this ingredient mix just a little bit. Let's see if that, see what that does to it. Do we mm-hmm. like it better? Do we, and just keep driving that process. Mm-hmm. All right. We have a phone call and uh, it's from Terre Haute. Christine is on from Terre Haute. Hi, Christine. Well, uh, Gordon Todd. Um, I'm loving this show. I want you to know I'm a big fan of Schwarzen Oktoberfest, and uh, with the fall season approaching us rather quickly, I'd like to ask, are there any local craft um, companies that might have something comparable to a Schwarzen Oktoberfest that I can support locally? All right, Doug. Guten Tag. Um, yes, in, indeed. The um, We have a Martzen-style Oktoberfest that's uh, being distributed uh, right now, um, which is a very similar profile of, of the Spaten. And, uh, you know, that's a, been a beer that uh, was a World Beer Cup winner for for us, uh, largest seasonal that we do every year. It's, it's broadly distributed. You'll find it over in Terre Haute for sure. How many, how many of your beers do you bottle? The- uh, we bottle probably twenty, excluding what we do in our sours program. We bottle probably about twenty, twenty beers, twenty different beers. Okay, yeah. so you can get this one in a bottle or maybe in a restaurant over there. A bottle or bottle. draft. Okay, bottle or draft. All right. Well, outstanding. Thank you very much. Well, I, I will be looking for that. All right, you can listen to Abel off the air. So thanks. Absolutely. <laughs> thank you. Okay, well, thank I wish you. I could say pros, but like I said, we don't have any beer here. It's a dry right. campus, but we should have just brought it anyway. Yeah, right. So, so what about you? Do you have an Oktoberfest? Uh, we don't have an Oktoberfest. Our seasonal is going to be our pumpkin ale, which is really nice. Uh, I've had a nice chance to always visit friends in New Jersey, Ohio. Uh, actually, our, my friend Jackson Ice works for Upland and works in Cincinnati, and you know his girlfriend actually works for the shoots. So uh-huh. it's kind of weird that we just you know all have a nice little Big. melting pot like that. But, uh, you know, when I go out and I always try new beers anywhere I can, uh, my pumpkin ales, I mean, here in the market are nice. I've tried a lot out of the market are even excellent. Um, I feel that our pumpkin ale is in my top ten right away. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, unfortunately, we're not bottling that. You'll have to visit either our Nashville uh, Big Woods uh, Village in there or come to Quaffon here in Bloomington and try it. Uh, we have very limited amounts of that beer, but uh, come try it out. It's not too spice-forward. It's nice. You get a really nice pumpkin flavor up front. And it carries the whole way through. It's not going to leave you flat on there. Mm-hmm. Tristan, are there any, any of the Indiana brewers that like that really feature German-style beers? That is a good question. Um, I, I was going to add to supplement Doug's sure. answer that uh, basically if, if 
I know Christine, she said she lives in Terre Haute. There aren't a whole lot of breweries out that way, but if she's coming to Bloomington or looking for Indiana brews in stores, I would really recommend following uh, some of her favorites on social media because they're always putting out what's new on, on Twitter and Facebook. Um, the Indiana Tourism Board, I believe the website's visitindiana.com, but we have that link on our Twitter as well, which is at Drink Indiana. You can follow us there. Uh, but they have actually a poll right now where you can choose your favorite Indiana Fall beers. So if Christine is looking for some of the, the biggest and best, uh, I would recommend going to that poll because there's dozens and dozens to choose from. That's visitindiana.com. Uh, yeah, yeah, I believe so. Yeah. Okay. If you want to give us a call like uh, Christina did, give us a call at 855-0811 in Bloomington or 1-877-285-9348. You can also join the live chat at wfiu.org slash noon edition or you can follow us on Twitter at Noon Edition. So we're in a college town, and you know I, I'm sure there is a population of college students that's really into craft beer. But uh, you know I, I'm going to sort of compare and contrast that with the group that still wants to go out and buy a bunch of Natty Light. I mean that seems to be you know there are some some college students that still just they don't have a lot of money and they just want to buy a lot of beer. I mean how so how popular is a craft beer movement on campus? Well, I think, you know, what's changed, I won't tell you how long ago I graduated from IU, but it's more than, more than uh, one or two decades now. But, uh, you know, I think, I think with the college crowd, what we've seen, what I've seen change is a movement away from um, beer to spirits, which is, you know, as a father of a couple young sons that'll be in it uh, in college in not too many years, that's kind of a scary thing. Um, I... I, I uh, you know, beer is a, uh, has moderate alcohol content. It, uh, to me, it, it encourages social drinking um, in a in a positive way. Um, you know, the the uh, um, and so the hard alcohol scares me a little bit. And I'm even in the alcohol business, but uh, but I would say if you talk to to again any of the bar owners along Kirkwood, um, they all sell a lot of craft beer, uh, and in fact. Many of them will sell craft beer. Will be the number two behind Bud Light as the number one brand in most of those places, and then uh, it'll be a craft beer that will be number two. So there's still quite a bit. Mm-hmm. I'm it, sure there's a conversion or a term for this kind of conversion going from the the big boys like Miller Coors and Nimbev to craft options, but. In my experience, I actually graduated, I was telling you guys earlier, 10 years ago from from this building, basically. And uh, when I first came to school at IU, I was drinking Blue Moon because I thought that was craft. Well, shortly thereafter, I learned it wasn't craft. And then I started drinking Bell's Oberon because that was all over the place. And then I discovered Upland Wheat. Mm -hmm. So I I think, especially uh, paying attention to what younger people are talking about on social media, younger people of age, 21 and up, of course, uh, it seems like the the craft curve is kind of kind of uh, more rapid now than it was a decade or so ago. So people are definitely on the craft bandwagon at an earlier age than they were before. Okay. Yeah, I should say people start, uh, the, the, this is what worries, if you worked for a very large brewery, this is what worries you is that um, people are forming drinking ha- beer drinking habits around more flavorful beers. And so, um, you know, the, the bulge of the craft brewing um, con- consumer uh, market is really a younger twenty-something um, to thirty-something, and you know maybe in college. To your point, the economics yeah. uh, don't support um, you know craft beer all the time, but they're certainly matriculating as soon as they <laughs> have a little money in their pocket. Their beer drinking habits are much more matriculating into. Uh, the craft, independent craft beers than they are into the domestic light lagers, which, um, you know, was the force up until maybe 10 10 years ago. Right. Well, we have uh, piqued some interest out there in our listening community. So George is on the line from Bloomington. George? Yes. uh, Question is, uh, how about somebody like Upland uh, coming up with a good gluten-free beer? Nobody seems to attack that side of the market. Uh, it's like 20% of the population now is seeking gluten-free foods and gluten-free beers, and what's up with that? Yeah, so so thanks for the call, and I actually have um, a, a friend and a partner in the business who actually um, uh, deals with that issue, as well as my very good friend, Bill Oliver. Um, but uh, the... Uh, to do it right, you have to do it in a separate facility. And oh, yeah. so to 
um, not to cross-contaminate and to allow any of those uh, gluten proteins in, you would need to basically set up a, a separate brewing facility. It's not just a matter of adding it to your product line. It's a, it's setting up a separate brewing facility, and the economics of that um, just haven't um, worked out for us to consider doing it. There are some gluten-free beers, though, aren't there? There are. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Omission is a good example. Uh-huh. Have a nice gluten-free. That's it. It'll apply to any craft beer as well. I've, I've had it myself, and I wouldn't swear. I mean, it's it's a little different, but it's just you know it's a nice gluten-free beer that I can also enjoy the taste of. So mm-hmm. they're out there, but you know it's just like Doug said. It's you know it, having that expansion for a niche market like that. Maybe it wasn't always the best way to go, but I, mean, I know that breweries are heading out there and they're very taking it very seriously. So. Mm-hmm. All right, George. Thanks a lot for the call. And now we're going to move to Charles, and Charles is in Bedford. Hello? Hello, Charles. Go ahead. Yeah, I, um, I just wanted to say I, I lived in Germany in the 70s and in the 80s. And uh, when I moved over there, uh, you could there were breweries everywhere. You know, every second or third little town had its own brewery. So, you know, it was always regional beers everywhere you went. That's not the case anymore because of all the of like places like, you know, people like InBev and, and, you know, the larger breweries bought them all out. What's to prevent that from happening in this country. I mean, money does talk. And when some big brewery comes in and offers you a couple of million dollars or $10 million, I mean, who's to say, well, I'm just going to sell out, and then they just close the thing down. Do you feel that that could happen? That's that's a good question. Um, earlier in the century, I, I was just in Evansville, and I visited the Evansville Museum's uh, exhibition on brewing, and uh, companies like F.W. Cook at one point, they were making the most popular post-prohibition beer in the country, right here in Indiana. Uh, but those companies, a lot of those were bought out, or, or they failed for one reason or another. So uh, this whole discussion, I guess, isn't to say that that would never happen in this state. Um, but so far, we haven't seen that. I think the traje- trajectory of growth so far is that uh, a lot of these, especially the breweries like Upland, Bloomington Brewing, that have been invested in their community for decades now, their leadership is truly invested in the community. So uh, I, I haven't seen any inklings of that happening in the near future. Doug, you you took over. Are you doing the Champagne Velvet? Right, right, yeah. So that's sort of the ironic, um, the I- ironic beer in our portfolio, which was originally brewed by the Terre Haute Brewing Company, started in 1902, uh, was their flagship. Um, and then uh, they were one of the brewers that survived Prohibition. Um, and then uh, one of the breweries that sold into the consolidation uh, in the 50s. So they sold to the Evansville Brewing Company, who then sold to the Pittsburgh Brewing Company, who then sold to the Pabst Brewing <laughs> Company, and yeah. and Champagne Velvet went away. Um, and over those you know over those decades, so it went from being really the regional flagship, a 400,000 barrel uh, individual beer, um, back when the population was. Uh, and, and that would be a big beer today. If you said 400,000 barrels, that's probably on the on the lines of what uh, New Belgium's Fat Tire is probably a 400,000 barrel beer. Um, but that was back in a day when the U.S. population was 30 or 40 percent of what it is today, and um, and its sales footprint was just regional. So, um, you know, it's it's uh, we brought that beer and tried to resurrect that recipe as part of our 15th anniversary to celebrate regional brewing. Um, it, we had a lot of fun with it last year. Uh, I rode a uh, horse-drawn carriage uh, down the streets in Terre Haute uh, and waving an American flag proudly uh, the whole time. Wow. We had a we had a good time. But uh, yeah, I mean, I, I I think what you've seen is the breweries. Uh, Abel mentioned Goose Island before. The breweries that have sold, uh, and there haven't been that many, but there have been a couple that have sold out to the larger industrial brewers, um, really face a marketing problem, a credibility problem on the heels of it. Because I think there is um, one of the reasons that people choose to drink craft beers is because um, they are small companies, independent companies, owned and managed by uh, local folks. And when that goes away, um, your brand takes a hit to some extent. I mean, you, you gain a lot of you gain a lot of positive economics, and and trust me, I'd I'd love to have uh, to be um, buying kegs and buying hops and things along Anheuser alongside Anheuser Busch. Everything would get much cheaper all of a sudden, but but you would take a hit, and uh, your brand would take a hit, and uh, part of the reason that people support us, I think, would take a hit. 
Um, and, uh, and I think you'll find that most of us that are in this business are not necessarily in it um, just to make a quick hit. There, it's, a, it's a project that we um, measure over decades. Um, it's not a, a quick business that you try to get in and turn around and flip. Thanks, Charles. Appreciate your call. And now we're going to move over to Nashville. Chris is in Nashville. Go ahead. Uh, yes, I had a, uh, about two quick questions. One is I, I moved to Nashville um, from Chicago about 2002 and remember picking up a six-pack of Upland. It was really good. The next one wasn't as good. I didn't think it was consistent. Um, but now I think it's very consistent. It has been for quite a few years now. Same thing with the, the first growler or two I got at Big Woods, and now I feel like um, they really – like I. Can you talk about like consistency and 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 when you start a when you start a uh, a brewery is that is that like a challenge for lots of brewers? And then the other question is, I have lots of friends now who make homebrew, and ten years ago I would stay away from homebrew, but now I think that it's come to a new level. There's lots of good homebrew. Is that kind of something that has grown along with this uh, with the um, the craft beer uh, and, the, and the brews, and also is it? Uh, do you ever get people coming into you? I'm sure you all the time saying, hey, I got a great recipe. You should try this out. Okay, very quickly. We only have about two minutes to go, a little less than two minutes. Yeah, I mean, it, it is a craft, and it uh, there's a Chaucer poem, you know, um, the life's so short, the craft's so long to learn, so to speak. And, and I feel like, um, you, you know, the part, part is put together a team that's really quality-focused. I think we've done that over the years. The other part of it is facilities. It is simply harder to make consistent beers in a small brewing environment as opposed to a larger brewing environment, um, on the, the building itself. I mean, these are all things that we address over time, and, and uh, we appreciate people who, um, you know, I think hang in there and support the business. And, and I, I do. I'm, I mean, I I think everybody gets better at it if they're trying hard, and, and our team tries hard, and I'm, I'm sure every brewer in the state tries tries hard to maintain consistency and get a little bit better year after year. Um, homebrew, real quickly. We uh, Every year there's the Indiana State Fair Brewers Cup, and homebrewers are eligible to enter their creations into that, and dozens of, dozens of them do it. Dozens walk away with prizes, and a lot of those homebrewers have actually gone on to start their own breweries. So that's that's a big thing now, too. All right, and I just want to mention very quickly, because we had a, a, somebody on live chat mention that Upland is featured in Parks and Recreation on NBC. What's up, what's up um, on, with that? Yeah, on Parks Ten and Rec, seconds. it's been uh, it's been great fun. It was uh, they came in uh, when, before the show started. They did research locally, and somebody recommended Upland, and uh, we've had a great relationship ever since. All right, well, we are out of time. I want to thank our three guests: uh, Doug Dayhoff, Abel Garcia, and Tristan Schmidt. For uh, producer Lacey Scarmana and engineer Mike Pashkash, I'm Bob Salzberg. Thanks for listening. Noon Edition is a production of WFIU and the Herald Times. A podcast of this and other WFIU programs is available at WFIU.org. Production support comes from Smithville Communications, serving southern Indiana with fiber gigabit internet and digital IPTV. More information at smithville.net. And from School of Public Health Bloomington, Public Health Reimagined. Addressing 21st century health challenges with a multidisciplinary approach to disease prevention, health promotion, and enhancing quality of life. Publichealth.indiana.edu.